Virginia has moved into a three-way tie for first place in the ACC, while Virginia Tech is fighting to keep itself in the postseason picture. Meanwhile, all over the Commonwealth, schools are finding success on the basketball court. We'll talk about all that and more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 102 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper. Joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you, my friend? Good morning, Mike. It's uh, LeBron James's world, and we're just spectators right now. It's so interesting to me over the last maybe decade to see people and people in our profession, all the way to people on a bar stool at a sports bar, tearing their hair out over, is LeBron James the greatest <laughs> ever? Is Michael Jordan the greatest ever? Who, who do you rank? All, all of that. And and it's fun, right? It's a fun debate and it's a fun conversation as long as you don't get too uh, emotionally overboard with it. To me, I just... I think the thing that stands out and is worth celebrating with LeBron James, I mean, this kid was how old when he was pegged to be in this debate, right? I mean, since he was a young boy. 16. Right. It was, I mean, the cover of Sports Illustrated, he was anointed as, we're going to debate one day, is he as great as Michael Jordan? The fact that he got to the point <laughs> where he is the all-time leading scorer in the NBA, uh, MVPs, NBA title, and... And the fact that that conversation is, to me, a coin toss, because I don't know how you compare generations and, and different things like that, right. that is a remarkable pressure to play with for how many decades now? I, I just, I think it's so worth celebrating, and I hope whether you think LeBron James is the greatest, or you think Michael Jordan is the greatest, or you got Kobe, or you got some other way of thinking about it, I hope you can enjoy and appreciate uh, what we've seen from LeBron James. Mike, he's 38 years old and playing literally at an all-NBA level. His endurance and sustained off-the-charts excellence, he has exceeded the hype, if that's somehow possible, from when he was a teenager. And the GOAT can be defined in so many different ways. If it's rings, it's Russell. If it's sheer dominance, it's Chamberlain. If it was scoring, it was Kareem, and now it's LeBron. You put all the packages together, maybe you like Mike, just for sheer spectacular highlights. But this guy statistically, scoring, rebounding, assist, shooting percentage, minutes played, this guy, over the course of his career, statistically, is number one. Yeah, there, there's no denying it. And, and, and it is a debate that we'll never be able to. No. Right? You'll you'll never have an answer. Although, I, I was talking to a buddy, and this might have been one of those sports bar kind of conversations that I was making fun of when we opened. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know what everyone believes about spirituality, the afterlife. If there's a sports fan heaven, don't you get to see Michael? and the Bulls in their prime against LeBron and maybe his best team. And don't you get to watch them in a seven game? Wouldn't that be sports fan heaven to settle some of these debates? No question. And well, Mike, if, if you want testament to LeBron's greatness, 
he won a title in Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) That automatically maybe puts you up there as the greatest of all time. With that clown Kyrie. Yes, who who has now sunk how many franchises in a row, but has a ring. Uh, thanks thanks to, to LeBron. Absolutely. It is. Uh, no, it's a testament. And you make a great point, too, about his all-around game. Um, you know, Jordan had that tenacity, and he had that unbeatable sort of persona. Um, and and I, always, I always give an, an edge to Jordan in that, you know, people say, th- this is the sentence you hear a lot with Jordan. He had to go through the Pistons. Yep. To be great. And I don't think people, if you didn't watch back then, understand, he literally had to go <laughs> through the Detroit Pistons. It was a very different NBA. Now, yes. I believe LeBron James, with his physicality, would have been built for that, too. But I don't know that Jordan gets enough credit for just the beating he took against the Pistons and against the New York Knicks, who yeah. that was my team growing up. And, and Charles they were, Oakley and Patrick. Charles Oakley, Patrick Ewing, Anthony Mason. Those guys were brought to New York to beat up Michael Jordan and they did it and he still won the series. And, and I just, I have so much respect for Jordan in that he never struck me as physically imposing as a LeBron or a Wilt or a Shaquille O'Neal. Like he looked like other basketball players looked, but he had something in him that you just, he was just unbeatable. But yeah, I mean, if I could see, uh, LeBron and, and his best and, and Michael at his best, uh, you know, maybe they play five different series with five different teams and we sort it out that way because certainly they've all had an interesting cast of characters around them and supporting players, some of whom played a big role, some of whom maybe has reference were a bit of a detriment. But um, I, I hope everybody, I hope everybody who enjoyed Jordan and, and reveled in his greatness can do the same with LeBron and uh, you're allowed to have your favorites, but just understand that uh, we're splitting hairs between, in this case, two incredibly exceptional basketball players. Amen. Now, I think the Jordan-LeBron series would be determined by which planet Dennis Rodman was residing <laughs> on. <laughs> so basically, you're pitching Space Jam 3, <laughs> where it's Jordan versus LeBron, and instead of Marvin the Martian, we get Dennis Rodman coming out. Uh, I, I would pay to see that. I think that w- that would be good. So maybe we shouldn't say that on, on the air here. Maybe we should save that and celebrate. Exactly. We're going to need a, a retirement plan here, and, and maybe Space Jam 3, uh, the return of the worm, is, uh, <laughs> is what we've got. Well, David, we saw Virginia uh, – return of their defense, return of the pack line in a big way against NC State in the win Tuesday night. This is a Virginia team that gave up 36 points in the paint in the road loss to rival Virginia Tech, just 12 to NC State. As you pointed out to me, that's a season low for NC State points in the paint. David, that's the way the pack line is supposed to look. Absolutely. And they did it, Mike, against a low post presence in DJ Burns, who has been on a ridiculous tear of late. I jotted down some numbers. He'd been in double figures nine consecutive games. He had 26 shots against Wake Forest and 31 points. He had 21 shots against George Tech and 24 points. Last night, he had six shots, eight points, and six Count them six turnovers. Huge. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> us sports writing hacks don't get the, the finer points, maybe, of game plans and of adjustments. 
But this one I thought was very clear. Virginia came in with a game plan. It was to, one, push DJ Burns away from the basket before he got the basketball so that when he caught it, he was out closer to the perimeter than he was to the rim. Then immediately shoot Jaden Gardner over, uh, at times Ben Vanderplas, to double-team him, making it, one, impossible for Burns to score on the low block, score in the paint, and two, Burns was a real good passer, and they made it really hard for him to make a good cross-court pass or find an open guy because of how quickly that double team was coming. What it did was it took away the inside game, the inside-out aspect for NC State. It left them essentially settling for three-point shots. Now, they took, I think, 27 of them last night. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a big number. It's not crazy for NC State, who likes to throw it in and then throw it back out. They were contested. They were rushed. A lot of them were up against the shot clock. I thought this was one of the best cases of a defensive game plan so obviously working to perfection. And the guy who made it work, David, in large part, Caden Shedrick. And Caden Shedrick, it's important to say that because you may have forgotten who he was. (laughs) He didn't even play in the Tech game. His minutes have been down. David, I thought Caden Shedrick embodied that idea of being ready when you're called upon, and and he was a difference maker. In his last six games, Caden Shedrick, total 38 minutes and eight points. Last night, 26 minutes, 10 points, six boards, unbelievable defense. Mike, for all of Tony Bennett's assets as a coach, his greatest may be keeping players engaged even as their minutes diminish and in the case of Caden Shedrick against Virginia Tech disappear he didn't play and some of us might suggest that he should have played against Virginia Tech and that he might have prevented some of those 36 paint points that you referenced earlier but far be it from us to make those suggestions but he credit to him credit to his teammates for continuing to encourage him and credit tony bennett and his staff yeah bennett's done that time and time again and it's interesting what he said when we asked him about it after the game last night he he said tony bennett's not a criticize your guy in the media coach he never has been never will be but he kind of let slip he said yep uh, about Caden being better in practice. practice. And then he followed it up with all due respect to Allen Iverson. He said, practice matters. Yep. And I thought that was very telling to tell you um, maybe why Caden Shedrick didn't play against Virginia Tech and why they, they went to him this week. He said he had a couple really good days of practice. The whole team did. Um, you hope that this is the kind of moment for Virginia's sake where Shedrick sees it and you know they always say the light goes on uh because if he can string together some good practices i imagine they're going to need him on saturday against that front court and duke i believe you're you're right and the the beauty of of technology you were at uh nc state virginia last night i was at vcu dayton i'm driving home and i just clicked on the youtube link of tony's post-game presser so i just listened to the press conference on the way home yeah which and and tony was very uh 
I thought he was very insightful about the team, where they're mm-hmm. at um, in terms of, hey, what they have to do. And, and, and you know, I, I liked, I used it in my story. I liked when he said, you know, it's not calculus. Yes. Right? Thank it, goodness. It, if it was calculus, I, I'd be covering <laughs> something else. It goes back to what I was saying. We'd be lost in the game plan if it was calculus. <laughs> but his point was, hey, this team knows what it needs to do to be good. It knows what it needs to do to win. Now it needs to practice that way and play that way. And it it doesn't have to be more complicated. It doesn't have to be anything bigger than that. There's no secret formula out there that this isn't the recipe for Kentucky fried chicken. Everybody knows what you got to do. And man, David, when Virginia does it as they did all night Tuesday, but particularly in that first half, I think they look really, really good. 25.8% for AC State from the field in the first half. They were held 30 points below their average, season-low 50 points uh, for the Pack. And let's keep in mind, the Pack came in there having won eight of nine ACC games. The last NC State team to win eight of nine ACC games in a regular season was (laughs) 1973-74. And rumor has it that was a pretty good team. Decent, decent. I think I think we've watched uh, shows on them. <laughs> um, yes. So here's an, another thing when you think about that. I mean, it's the highest scoring team in the ACC going in, and Virginia has its best statistically defensive uh, yes. game. We mentioned the inside out, but the other thing, and this, and I know people are probably tired of hearing me say this, but Virginia hit its shots all night long, which allowed it to get back. It kept NC State out of transition. Virginia hit shots, didn't turn over the ball. NC State couldn't run the floor, couldn't score inside, and was essentially taking desperation threes. That is how it's supposed to look. And I think it was important to note, because the defense was great, no doubt. The offense plays a role in that. And last night, the offense was about Jaden Gardner and his mid-range game. And that also had to do with Burns, right? Burns wants to be near the rim as a rim protector. And you would you would see... Burns kind of down there. Gardner get the ball, and Burns wouldn't want to pop out because he doesn't want to leave the rim. And Gardner is one of those few guys at that position who can just rise up and knock down that shot. Uh, he was huge in this game, uh, 18 points for Gardner. And then the other thing that's emerging more and more, and we saw it in the loss to Tech 2, Reese Beekman driving to the rim and hitting really tough contested shots, taking body contact and finishing. Everybody gets bigger and stronger as they get well I got bigger as I got older I don't know about stronger but people get bigger and stronger <laughs> as they get older so that's part of it but Beekman's toughness getting to the rim I think that's going to be huge for this team going down the stretch first team all ACC I think he's got when you factor in the defense which yeah. I'm sure he'll get snubbed again for defensive player of the year because it, it always happens but uh, I think he's he's got to be up there yeah, I I think so, um, and Kihei's not not far behind him, but I I think Beekman is kind of the, the 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 head of this snake. And you mentioned not turning it over. You mentioned transition defense, points off turnovers last night. UVA seventeen, NC State four. Yeah, that's that. You would think that's a misprint, right? They right. they juxtapose the numbers. Fast break points. Virginia nine, NC State two. Again. You'd think that the that the stat sheet had dyslexia. Yeah, it's it was a masterful game plan that was then executed perfectly. Um, and again, part of it is hitting your shots. Part of it is taking care of the ball. Uh, part of it is playing that defense locked in. And, and that's, I guess what I mean, there are all these parts. And when Virginia puts them together, 
man, it, it's good to see. Now, one guy did have a big night against Virginia, and he was a familiar name <laughs> to the yes. fans at JPJ. You know where I'm going with this. I had a chance to catch up with Casey Morsell during the week. Uh, he talked about really appreciating his experience at Virginia before he transferred to NC State. He talked about the adjustment of getting comfortable in a totally different style of basketball there with the Wolfpack. Then he went out and scored 18 points against his old team. And David, every time he touched the ball, he was booed by the fans at JPJ. I was a little surprised only because he has been so complimentary of everything about his time at Virginia. And Tony Bennett has been just effusive in his praise of Casey Morsell, who he is as a player, who he is as a person, his family. It's a big old love fest internally. I, I was a little surprised, honestly, uh, by the booing. I asked Casey about it after the game. I, I was expecting anything, you know. It's you know, it's a, um, it's, it's a, you know, energetic. It's a fun fan base, and they're very passionate. So, you know, I wasn't, you know, whatever it was, I, I'll be fine. So, David, what do you think? Are the fans right to, to get on Casey Morsell because he left? Tony Bennett said, I, I wish he was still here. Or uh, with all of the, the positive comments on both sides, were you surprised by the booing? Uh, no, because that's just kind of how fans roll. But it makes me wonder what it's going to be like when Brennan Armstrong comes to Scott Stadium next football season. Right, because we have not heard anything really from from him, and uh, I'm sure he'll have nice things to say. But yeah, uh, also football, that there's going to be a um, an emotion and an anxiety in that game, I think, that it, that is a little uh, unmatched from what we saw last night. But uh, Morsell's been really good. Uh, NC State's been really good. I, I think they still have a chance to, to have a really great year. Uh, Will be interesting to see Virginia now matches up, as I referenced, with Duke. It's not the Duke of old, right? It's Ooh. Mike Krzyzewski's not there. They're shockingly beatable for, for the pieces they have. But matchup-wise, David, when you think about Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively in that front court, uh, this looks like another potentially challenging matchup for the pack line, does it not? Well, you referenced earlier, Mike, they're going to have to play big again. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that against Filipowski and Lively, who's, wow, at, at seven foot seven one is is blocking shots left and right. Now, his offensive repertoire is very limited, but he's just such a presence on the interior. I think we're going to see a lot of Caden Shedrick again Saturday. And <clears throat> that Saturday-Monday turnaround that ACC teams have to – endure a couple times a year especially the good ones wow revealed a lot about duke the other night you know because saturday they they get carolina at cameron in a game with all the emotional overtones that you would expect and then some considering their games last year and then to turn around and go to miami and just non-competitive miami just boat race them from the start And to me, it was a function of youth. That was a team that wasn't ready for that quick a turnaround. And I'm fascinated to see now with Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to prepare how Duke responds Saturday afternoon at JPJ. Yeah, it should be fun to watch. It's also worth noting uh, North Carolina, which is a much older team, didn't fare particularly well in its turnaround either. Uh, It got whacked pretty uh, substantially by Wake Forest. Now, Miami and Wake are both 
good teams. Uh, I think Miami's bordering on a great team at, at, at this point. Uh, but it was interesting to see that Duke-Carolina rivalry, uh, a couple days later, neither of those teams uh, matched what they put on, on the floor Saturday. Mike, Carolina was down 20-some <laughs> early, and they were as non-competitive in Winston last night as Duke was at Miami on Monday. I think the Tar Heels are going to make the NCAA tournament, but I'm a lot less confident than I was a week ago. I'm sitting here looking at them. They are 1-8 and eight in Quadrant 1 games. Yeah. Now, they have no bad losses, mind you, and their strength of schedule is through the roof, but they are 1-8 and eight in Quad 1 games. And let's take a look at that schedule, shall we? They get Clemson at home. On Saturday, then the the aforementioned Saturday Monday turnaround, they get Miami at home. Then they go to NC State. They'll win at Notre Dame, but then they host the Cavs. Then they go to Tallahassee, and then they host Duke. The the Tar Heels better be careful. I agree. At the same time, and I think you know where I'm going to go with this. If they're good, and we thought coming into the year they were the number one team in the country. If they're good, this stretch affords them. To pick up what you started, oh, yeah. right? You're, so you're if you're in, if you're North Carolina, you're feeling like, hey, we control our own destiny. Yep. We're playing a murderer's row down the stretch, and if we win down that stretch, there's going to be no doubt about their NCA credentials. To your point, things can go the other way. Things can go the other way in a hurry, and you start losing. Uh, especially that this team is only two and six away from home. They've been great at home. I think they're ten and one or eleven and one at home. Uh, but they're only two and six on the road. Uh, it will be very interesting. And, and it brings us to a very interesting, I think, David, ACC regular season championship race. As we sit right now, Virginia, Clemson, Pittsburgh, in a three-way tie atop the standings at 10 and three. Miami, just a half game back at 10 and four. And against NC State, Duke, certainly within striking distance there. Wake and, and Carolina aren't out of that. Um, statistically, Syracuse is in the same spot, but I've seen nothing to believe that that they should be part of this conversation right now. Uh, how do you handicap, with the schedules included, what we're going to see here down the stretch for the ACC regular season title? First of all, Mike, show of hands for those who figured that Clemson, Pitt, and UVA would be tied for first place on February 8th. Yeah, all you liars, put your hands yeah, up. I mean, oh my gosh. It's it's remarkable. Uh, I have been saying for some time now, Virginia is the favorite in my mind. And rather than Clemson or Pitt, I think Miami is probably the biggest threat to UVA. Now, Virginia has already lost at Miami mm-hmm. and already lost at Pitt. Um, I don't know. Does that does that make you think that those teams are better or kind of snapshot in the moment? Remember, Reese Beekman wasn't uh, full strength at one point there. They, they um, The Miami game comes down to the to the final shot. Um, how, how do those head-to-heads play into kind of how you, you think this is going to shake out? Well, they're both on the road, which you, know, I, you don't excuse road losses, but they happen. Uh, Virginia Tech or Virginia lost at Virginia Tech too. Is Virginia Tech better than UVA? No. Just look at their records. Now, obviously, Miami and Pitt have similar records to, to the Cavaliers, but Virginia's ranked in the top 10 
for a reason, and the others are not. Uh, and I think those rankings are are pretty realistic. Yeah, I would I would agree. All right, so we like Virginia, we like Miami, Clemson, and Pitt right there. Uh, when you think about the ACC after a down year in terms of putting teams into March Madness, how many teams are are, are right now playing? for an NCAA bid? Well, I think the only teams who you would say are definitely out of the conversation (laughs) would be BC, Notre Dame, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Louisville. Now, the bottom five. I mean, the other 10, you would say, at least have a remote chance. Syracuse, you know, that would take a miracle. So let's throw them out. That leaves nine teams with absolutely realistic NCAA tournament aspirations. The lowest ranked team among that group is Wake at 66 on the net. Clemson's at 65, Pitt 52, Virginia Tech 50. So how would you, as we're going to transition here in a moment to Virginia Tech, but how would you break down where they're at? It kind of feels a little bit like what we just said about North Carolina. There's plenty of opportunity here for Virginia Tech, I think, to put itself in the right spot, but not much margin for error. I think precious little margin for error, Mike. Virginia Tech's got eight regular season games remaining. The Hokies are four and eight in the league. I think they need to win seven of those eight at least. I think losing even two, which would leave them 10 and 10 in the league, would put their at-large hopes in, in serious peril. Their non-conference strength of schedule is weak. It's 235. It's not as terrible as Clemson's. Clemson's is a just god-awful 337. But, you know, the next three, mm-hmm. the Hokies got to have. Got to beat BC tonight. Got to beat Georgia Tech on the road. Got to beat Notre Dame on the road. And then those next three, Pitt, Miami, at Duke. If they take care of the next three, the following three will determine their fate. Yeah, I agree completely of you've got to run these next three to put yourself in position. You also, you have to do it playing well, right? Because that next stretch is going to be challenging. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to tonight's game against Boston College, which if you're the casual fan, you probably look at that and say, Tech at home, BC, great, no problem. <laughs> BC's beaten them four straight times. Yep. And this has not been good BC teams and they've been some pretty decent tech teams. David, what's going on in the matchup with Boston College here in recent years? If I knew that, Mike Young would pay me a heck of a consulting fee. That is for sure. I mean, it's been various things. Number one, Mike, BC is very physical. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really guard you hard. And and to think that the Hokies lost up there. That's the game where Hunter Couture injured his elbow. But Quentin Post, who is arguably Boston College's best player, did not did not play in that game because of an injury. And now he's back. And they're much, much better on both ends of the floor with that seven foot one body. So uh, tonight is not a given by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, you know, coaches always say, and, and why wouldn't they, that, you know, oh, whatever happened in that first game, especially if you won, you don't want to be overconfident. Whatever happened, you could throw it out. I think this is one of those cases where they're absolutely right. This is a totally different basketball game to me uh, because of where it is, because of post, because of couture. Um, 
Virginia Tech also had some other Rodney Rice, the the freshman who only got to play in in one game anyway. Um, he's done for the season. Darius Maddox has still not returned, uh, no. dealing with a, what they say is a family issue. Um, there's been no update. We talked to Mike Young on Monday, and he um, very out of characteristic for Mike Young, but he was very terse with his answers. And no, uh, yeah, one word, no, and then um, it, it looked like he he could not close his laptop fast enough when the zoom segment ended. Um, and, and who knows, you know, there's always other things going on in, in the world too. Um, but there's gotta be some mounting frustration that they played that stretch without couture. They're not getting rice back. The Maddox situation is dragging on. Um, we're not seeing full strength Virginia tech at a time when they need to be full strength. They absolutely do. Now they should be confident. Yeah. They, they got the game they needed Saturday against Virginia. You know, Couture overcomes that scoreless first half and hits three extra large shots from beyond the arc in the second half. Mutz was incredible with 17 and 8. Basili continued his excellent play. Padula goes for 22. Um, they should feel good about themselves, but man, they still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, and, and you know, the Miami game, notwithstanding, like we said, we think Miami's a pretty good team. On the road, they lost that one. But they've won three of their last four, including uh, the win over Duke, including the win over Virginia. All of those are at home. Uh, but being dominant at home and then following up with some road wins, hopefully against Notre Dame and Georgia Tech, two of the weaker teams in the conference. Um, again, I, I do think that this team is in position to make a run. It, it was interesting before we recorded here. I was on the radio with uh, Dallin Cuff and, and Katie George from the ACC Network, and we were kind of debating, okay, is this Virginia Tech team good enough to do what last year's Virginia Tech team did? David, I'll, I'll pose that question to you because I feel, yes, it's good enough. I feel this is a tougher ACC, making it less likely they're able to either make a, a run here down the stretch or that amazing run they had in Brooklyn to duplicate that in Greensboro. What, what do you think as, as you compare those two? I would agree with you, number one, it's a tougher ACC. And, Mike, I just don't fathom two years in a row of a four-game run in as many days. And let's not forget they were incredibly fortunate to survive the first. Woo-hoo, yes, sir. Right. I mean, if Darius Maddox misses, they're done. And drive home safely, and they're out in the first round and playing in the NIT. So, no, the if, if if they're not going to, if they don't get an at-large bid, they're not going to the NCAA tournament because Virginia Tech is not going to win the ACC tournament again coming from off, off the board because they're not going to be among the top four seeds, so they're not going to get the double buy. That makes sense. You mentioned that the stretch of Pitt, Miami, Duke, if we're... I don't want to say assuming wins against BC, Notre Dame, and Georgia Tech, but essentially saying you have to have those or, or there's no point in having this discussion. Right. So if we put those in the win column, is does it have to be two and one during the Pitt-Miami-Duke stretch? Could it be one and two as long as you don't trip up at the end? At the end, it gets soft again with Louisville, who is remarkably bad, uh, and Florida State, who has never been able to right itself. If you're one and two, you're 10 and 10 in the league. You'd be the consummate bubble team. A lot would hinge on what happened elsewhere in the country and how you performed in Greensboro. What will be fun about that is then we can always hit up Seth Greenberg for his thoughts on Virginia <laughs> Tech being on the bubble since he was, will always be uh, the expert on, on Hokies bubble, bubbles and bubble burstings. Uh, David, before, before we 
wrap up today, I, I did want to spend the time. You mentioned you were in Richmond for that VCU Dayton game, uh, which was a, a pretty good ball game from what we were able to, to follow along. And you also wrote uh, this week about the strength of basketball right now in the Commonwealth. Um, Liberty's really good. VCU's really good. Uh, it's a really strong year again. And I know we've had some of these. But first, take me through VCU Dayton. Despite the Ram loss, uh, how do you feel about Mike Rhodes' group? Well, they're tied for first in the Atlantic 10 despite the setback. They're tied with St. Louis, a team they just beat on the road last Friday night with a remarkable performance from Ace Baldwin. He had 37 points, career high, 12 of 15 from the floor, 9 of 9 from the line. And then last night, the law of averages caught up to him. He's 0 for 7 from deep. The team goes 0 for 9 beyond the arc in the second half, and for the game goes 10 for 20 at the foul line. Can't beat a quality opponent like that. And they didn't. They came up short. Dayton tried to give it away. (laughs) Only had uh, two points in the last three and a half minutes. Those on free throws. No field goals. Baldwin had a stone-cold, wide-open look from the left wing to cut it to two late and, and missed it. And Mike Rhodes afterwards said, you know, he thought his team played flustered and that they pressed. And he was he was really disappointed that he didn't have them better prepared for a team that they had beaten on the road earlier this season, coming from 14 down at halftime. But the A-10 is going to be a one-bid league. And all the other teams in the state are in a similar predicament as the Rams. They're going to have to win their conference tournament to make the field. That said, a lot of them are in really good shape when it comes to their conference seat, conference tournament seedings. And especially in the case of Liberty, that is paramount because in the Atlantic Sun, this is Liberty's final season in that league. If you're the top seed, you play at home throughout the conference tournament. And Liberty is 13-1 and at home this season with the only setback being to a really good Southern Miss team out of the Sun Belt. Yeah, Liberty uh, tied atop their league. Um, I think Radford yes, is Rad- tied atop theirs. Uh, Radford has the has the nation's fourth longest active winning streak right now. The Highlanders have won nine in a row. It's good stuff. And then uh, behind them, you have Longwood, who is tied for third, and, and right there is a team that could make yep. a run in a conference tournament. So as you as you look around the the state. Um, Richmond, JMU, William and Mary. Uh, I, I think obviously we, we put. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think we put Virginia at the top. Um, oh yeah. F- from there, where do you go? How, how would you rank um, the teams and 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 maybe their chances of uh, reaching March Madness? In terms of reaching March Madness, I would say Virginia one, Liberty two, and then VCU three, Virginia Tech four. Now I looked at a website the other day, Mike, called TeamRankings.com that calculates a a team's probability of making the NCAA tournament. And I was really struck by this number. They gave Virginia Tech a 42% chance to make the tournament. That felt really high to me. (laughs) Maybe they also are assuming these three three wins and calculating off of that? Yeah, I I don't know. Now, Liberty, they gave a 65% chance. So they're they're very bullish on Richie McKay, Darius McGee, and company. 
Yeah, and for for good reason. And, and you mentioned certainly the opportunity to play at home there would would be uh, massive for those guys. But um, certainly shaping up to be a a real fun year, fun stretch run uh, around the Commonwealth, and uh, it's going to be a going to be a, a good time, a busy time for us, right? But that that's what makes it fun. Absolutely, I, I'm really jazzed about Saturday at, at JPJ. The fans always, of course, get up for Duke. Mike, this will be, I, I was looking it up the other day, the first time that an unranked Duke team comes to Virginia since 1996. It tells you something about what Mike Krzyzewski had rolling there uh, <laughs> yes. at Duke. Isn't, isn't that remarkable to think that? Uh, and, and that's why, right? That's why the atmosphere is going to be what it is. That's why there's the excitement. It, people can always knock. They say, okay, Duke fans, Yankee fans, Cowboy fans. But the reality is, Duke has been so good for so long that <laughs> chances are, if you went to see them, you were seeing a pretty darn good team. You you were up for that game, um, and that just feeds itself. The idea that when Duke comes to town, it's a big game. And, and I think despite Duke's struggles this year, uh, this is going to be a big one. It will be. And you know, it, it, it's a home game for the Cavaliers. You know, if, if they want to con- continue... Uh, to to make their run to number one in ACC regular season title and kind of lock in that first weekend of the NCAA tournament there in Greensboro, which I think you know, I know Virginia fans have already purchased tickets for for that opening weekend of March Madness, and a whole bunch of them have made hotel reservations in the Greensboro area. They are banking on it. Yeah, lucky us. That would be uh, back-to-back weekends in, in Greensboro. Every sports writer's dream. Jim Beheim's dream. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. How about, about Jim Beheim? Yeah, if, if you didn't hear, uh, Jim Beheim made some comments, which he then walked back a bit. But oh, um, leaving the court. Too late, walking, Mike. Too late. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. The, the, the horse is out of the barn. But he was essentially leaving the post-game press conference, walking with Pete Thamel and talking about the state of college basketball and insinuated that, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, and Miami uh, had essentially bought their current teams. Uh, Now, again, he's walked that back. He apparently had phone calls with at least two of those coaches that evening to, I don't know if Jim Beheim ever apologizes for something, to kind of clarify what he was saying. Uh, He also clarified where he said, you know, Syracuse never gives anybody NIL dollars. He now says what he meant was Syracuse never uses NIL dollars in inducing recruits. Once they get there to keep kids happy, right. uh, they've got uh, at least one major donor who's, who's involved in that front. Uh, David, Jim Beheim st- made it and stepped in it, didn't he? He did. And, Mike, it, to me, it's typical Beheim. And he's a Hall of Fame coach, and he's been to multiple Final Fours, and he's cut down the nets, and he's been an Olympic assistant coach, and he's an institution. But it's a guy who always thinks he's the smartest dude in the room. And he get, he consistently gets out over his skis. Rarely more than he did with the ESPN's Pete Thamel, like you said, walking out of a post-game press conference where, by God, he should have been happy. They just won a game. They just beaten Boston College. And it was cranky old man. He's 78 years old. And he's whining about the state of college basketball and NIL. Well, guess what, Jim? That's the way of the world. If you don't like it, here's the exit ramp. <laughs> Feel free to take it. 
Yeah, I, I posted a Twitter poll when I covered the game up in Syracuse. Who retires first, Jim Beheim or Red Panda? Uh, <laughs> it seems like Red Panda's enjoying what she's doing a lot more than Jim Beheim at this point. It was interesting on Monday's ACC call. Uh, Jim spent basically eight and a half of the 10 minutes addressing right. those comments, being asked about those comments. And normally his segment on there is about four minutes because he's so surly. Nobody bothers asking him any questions. Uh, he got the full allotment of questions. And then when he was done, uh, before he logged off, he said, it's been fun, which <laughs> maybe, so maybe it is fun for him. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think the sarcasm font was on full yeah. display there. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. But, yeah, you know, David, I don't know that he's wrong in his heart in terms of some of the influence of some of the things that are happening Right. to, to signal out to signal out certain programs and, and programs where it's just factually not, not the case. It was the idea of him being sort of the arbiter and the, the all-knowing here in addressing it that I, you know, I think if he had been saying, hey, I really don't like the fact that that NIL is influencing recruiting and that I don't think it's even, I think there's a very legitimate gripe there. And I think a lot of coaches share that concern, but why are you throwing your colleagues under the bus? And now they've got, right. Steve Forbes now has to answer that question. Jeff Capel now has to answer that question. Jim Laranagan. And obviously in Miami's case, there, there is uh, some evidence to go with all that and and Nigel Pack's deal and whatnot. But uh, now you're just making your colleagues jobs harder too. it. It just, uh, no man is an Island. And and Jim Beheim seems sometimes like he he just wants to be that Island. Jim Beheim, by the way, who's programmed has twice been sanctioned by the NCAA. Right. Yeah. If you, if you live in glass houses, what are you not supposed to throw? And uh, he's chucking those stones quite regularly, but certainly, makes things interesting and gives us uh, a lot to talk about, which which is fun for us to do. We hope you all had fun listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Makes a great Valentine's Day gift for the loved ones in, in your life. Today's show is produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly, Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week. <laughs>